Today's episode of the Read More podcast is brought to you by the Miami Book Fair International. Eight days each November and all year round with writing workshops, author events, and more. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton, coming to you from the Freedom Tower in downtown Miami. My guest today is Darielle Suarez. His short story collection, A Kind of Solitude, was published last year. It was the winner of the 2017 Spokane Prize for Short Fiction. Darielle, thanks so much for stopping by to talk about your work. Thank you for having me. You're originally from Havana, and the bulk of your stories are set in Cuba after the fall of the Soviet Union. Reading these stories, I was just struck by the fear and anxiety that your characters experience due to living under a um, oppressive regime. In one story, a character is visited by the police for illegally obtaining a wheel of cheese. So she's dealing with that, and you have others who are constantly worried about who they can trust. Even though Cuba is so close to the U.S., especially here in Miami, I'm not sure how much people from other parts of the country really know about it. Once cruise ships were allowed to go there, there was just all this talk about rum and cigars. What do you hope your stories will convey about the island and the people who live there? Sure. Um, I think that there are sometimes two realities to any place. Uh, And I think for locals, the experience that they have is very different from what outsiders might think, even the ones who get to visit. Um, so what I wanted to do was show some of these lives in, in sort of the day-to-day realities of, as you mentioned, living sort of an oppressive regime um, on, with poverty. And, and so I just wanted to show um, how it can be difficult for some people under these circumstances. And of course, I picked certain characters in certain situations that don't necessarily happen to everybody in Cuba. Um, this is just a, a small group of stories. but. I felt that it was important to show that this is a reality, at least in my view, uh, for, for people living there, that they do have to oftentimes worry about these things. Uh, you mentioned the wheel of cheese story. This happened to my wife's grandmother. This story is actually based on, on real events, and I fictionalized a lot of it, but uh, the essence of what happens in the story actually happens to someone that it's in, in our family. So um, it, it seems like a small thing, but these things, uh, I think, do impact the way that people live and the way that they think of their own country and, and why so many Cubans have left. Um, so I, I'm hoping that through these stories, people will get sort of a broader lens of what reality can be like for, for some in Cuba um, beyond, as you mentioned, the cigars in the room, and, you know, which is it's also part of it, but, uh, but it's not the, the full story. So it's, I'm not, I don't necessarily have a message with it, but I just kind of wanted to show that. Um, and then the people sort of interpret whatever they want out of it. Well, how much did you draw upon your background, you know, being from Cuba and living there for uh, the majority of your childhood? Yes, I mean, there are many, many people that I know who um, lived there for longer than I lived. And, you know, these people may be my family or they're friends of the family. Um, and many of their stories inspired stories in, in this collection. Um, 
there's a story of a heavy metal band, for instance, and the bass player in a band that I used to play here in, in Miami, um, you know, he, he lived through a lot of those things. So I sort of drawn from experiences that people have been through that I've talked to. Some of them, um, you know, my, my, as I mentioned, my wife's grandmother, my own father told me a lot of stories. My own grandparents had a lot of stories um, that I sort of draw from. And then there are things that I read, you know. Um, newspaper articles or online certain you know information that might come out and inspires a, a story so yeah I think you know I wanted to draw from things that were close to me and close to home not so much necessarily from my own personal life because I was very young when I left though there's one of the stories in the collection titled Mudface it's it, you know inspired by some of my childhood friends um, um, but yeah I, I think it's a great place to start to, to get stories and then you know there are other places that there are other stories that are more external to me um, but it's still the same universe, the same sensibilities, the same people that I know. So um, I felt like I was sort of exploring the same, you know, the same um, world, um, just to slightly different stories and obviously many different characters. Well, one of the things we see clearly through your stories is just the links that characters have to go through to just get their basic needs taken care of. I mean, we see some characters who are stealing food and other items really just out of desperation, you know, not so much that they are a uh, criminal element. Um, how was your understanding of what it's like to live under those circumstances shaped by what you actually experienced and what maybe you heard from older relatives? Yeah, I was so I left in '97, so this was in the heart of what Castro himself, Fidel Castro, uh, called the special period, which is really just an economic crisis that I think lasted about a decade or more in Cuba um, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union. And so uh, it was really hard in the '90s, especially for many people, because of uh, things were bad already, and I think they got really, really worse. Um, so a lot of these stories come from that world, um, and. And so it's inevitable that the poverty and the stealing and the having to figure out how to sort of you know make ends meet it's it's a big part of it because that I did witness a lot of that in my own family with my my grandfather and my mom and my dad people in my neighborhood um, that's when a lot of the sort of mass migration started to happen again in the 90s um, what people call rafters started to come in 94 there was a big sort of uh, exodus so. Um, to me, it was what I was drawn to. I felt like n not a lot of people were writing about these uh, these years uh, because, I mean, in Cuba, it's hard to do, you know, and hard to publish in, inside the island when you're indirectly or directly criticizing the system. Um, but I also think, I also think, you know, even for people living outside, you know, it's hard to find people who are writing about it, um, at least in fiction, and, and, and exploring beyond some sort of the realities uh, that are just, just factual. I wanted to go beyond that and and imagine what it what it was like for to be this these people and having to go through that so um, obviously talking to my family I can get a lot of firsthand experiences and how it felt for them and myself having seen the difference at school or in my neighborhood of people were losing weight and people couldn't get you know food and uh, there was a lot of struggles a lot of my friends started to leave the country um, so I think having lived through that I just wanted to be able to capture that and not let it be lost um, and because I'm a fiction writer I felt like it was best medium to, to do that um, to also make it to some extent you know entertaining and engaging and more personal and intimate beyond just the historical sort of aspect of it. Well one of the things that you tackle in the collection is 
the problem of racism in Cuba, which is something we don't hear about as much, or you know, some people act like it doesn't exist, but you do tackle that in, in some of the stories. You mention when a particular character is black and how that might affect uh, how they are treated. What was it that made you want to take that on, and was that difficult at all for you? Um, I mean, I don't know that it, I would say it was difficult. I definitely, I, you know, I don't know if I did it justice, and, and it's always difficult to write about these things because there are many things to, to consider when it, when it comes to race, when it comes to identity, when it comes to class. But I feel like particularly race and class are things that in Cuba are glossed over, uh, both from the point of view of the government, which pretends like these things don't really exist uh, there, and even the people who, um, you know, many Cubans who sort of refuse to say, oh, it is a racist country or it can be a racist place. uh, we kind of move beyond that. And I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I've witnessed some of this in my own family. I've witnessed it in, in my neighborhood. And, and I hear it still. Um, and so I wanted to explore some of these things to show that, yes, it is a reality. I mean, it is, I think, ev- everywhere. But, but there, specifically, because we, um, I think many people pretend like it, it, it's not a place that's racist, I just wanted to sort of go against that because I don't believe so. And, um, and you know, that's where a lot of these conflicts can come from. A lot of the personal introspection for the characters can come from. I've written stories after the collection that also deal with race and class. And, and I think I'll probably continue to do that because... Um, Sexism also, it's another part of the, of the culture that I think hasn't been explored. And to me, you know, I love my country, I love my people, um, but if you do that, if you, if you feel that way, I think you also as a writer want to explore the uglier side of, of that and, and sort of look at the full picture and be honest about who we are as a culture and as a country. So um, it's a way to, you know, some people might see it as criticism. Um, I, as a fiction writer, think of it as just showing what I think is a reality and then I think if we can do that, honestly, then can maybe we have a conversation to move beyond that and to 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 be better people, um, um, you know, out of out of the the work that we read. But um, but I think to ignore it, it's a mistake, and I and I don't think it's it's been written about enough, um, particularly in Cuba. And I do think that the majority of people in Cuba who have sort of the power of the access to power, uh, like in many other places, tend to be lighter skinned. So so I I wanted to show that. Well, another thing that really comes through in the collection is the differences uh, between the classes of people or um, classes and connections, I guess is the way I would phrase that. Everybody who is able to get a little extra because of somebody they know or the, the position they have or how close they are to, you know, Fidel or whatever. What is it about that space that you wanted to explore? Because you also, in those stories, show if they, you know, maybe they have a friend and their friend is able to get a little bit more because of that person. And that might be something that people might think, oh, everybody is just the same in Cuba when in fact they're really not. Right. Um, so I think that, I mean, I think that reality of class is, is true of any country. I mean, I, you know, not to go too much on too much of a tangent, but in the U.S., I think we have this ideal that, you know, being rich means you're successful, that you've earned it. And that's, that isn't always true. Most people who are rich are born rich and upper mobility is very difficult. So in Cuba, even though it's sort of in the different scale because of the poverty and the communism and all of that, it's kind of the same way. So connections do make a difference. Like who gets the big house, who gets the big job, who gets access to things definitely have a lot to do with who you know, where you work. Um, and in Cuba, and in the case of Cuba, because of the communist regime taking over everything, um, usually means being connected to the government somehow. So I wanted to explore some of that and, and how you have to navigate those relationships. Now, the reality is that a lot of these positions 
um, are sort of precarious. They're not, they're, they're easy to lose. If one day, you know, something changes and you're no longer valuable to the people who are above you, they may disown you completely and take things away from you. Or if someone in your family does something that is not in line with the government, you could get in trouble. And again, this is nothing new in dictatorships. This happens in communist regimes and oppressive regimes. This is common. Um, and there it's, it's, it's kind of insidious because it's, it seems more hidden maybe than in other places. And I still know some Cubans who don't necessarily believe that these things happen. Um, but again, both out of my own family's experience and what I know and I've read and, and I believe, uh, this is a reality. And so I wanted to write about that in, in the collection and I've also written in my novel where I want to show that you know, class in Cuba is connected to government, but it's also a very uh, sort of unstable position to be in for for most people. Some people can can you know be there their whole lives, um, and also to show the moral conundrum because you know at the end of the day you know that you might be um, taking advantage of something that it's hurting others, uh, even in your own family, and so you have to make that decision. Um, and I like to put my characters through that and say, well, you have this, but now you have to make this other choice. And so, which is, which it's, which is going to be, you know? And so, um, to me, it's a great source of tension for fiction, but it's also, I think something that, that happens more often that people think, uh, for, particularly for those who live in there and who stay in, in Cuba and who don't leave. One of the things I noticed on a lot of the stories is that your characters, like you mentioned, they are in, they might be in a good position, but there was worry about they could lose it, or there was worry that, as you mentioned, what was benefiting them was hurting someone else. So how did that work for you in the storytelling? Because I noticed there were characters who had to do some sometimes pretty bad things, and you got to kind of play with that as far as how they made those decisions. Um, what to do did they want to testify against someone else or did they want to follow orders that might not be just and as a storyteller what is it like for you to have those pretty high stakes to play with in your writing yes uh, so a lot of that has to do with with you know sort of conflict which is again great for fiction and um and i like to put my characters in very difficult positions at least i i think i do and um and for me you know with very few exceptions, and there are some, um, I, I don't think you know most of us are either completely good or completely bad. And I think um, if you put someone in a very difficult position, they may do things that they may regret or be ashamed of, or even if they're not, you know, um, that later on might come back to haunt them. And so, to me, because of the the source of tension that that creates. Um, um, I think it was just a natural place to go and to push through. And, you know, some of my characters I really um, am fascinated by, I'm interested in. I don't necessarily would want to be friends with all of them um, or would agree with them in real life with their decisions. I may have just done something different, but then again, maybe not. Maybe if I'd been in that same position, I might have done something that that I wouldn't have been completely happy with, but I felt like I had to do. So um, pushing that sort of moral compass, moving them back and forth a little bit, it's a great way for me to explore the kinds of decisions that people in real life have to make all the time. And though we all would like to think of ourselves as being completely good, um, again, the, to me, the reality is that, that you know we're not that. So uh, in a place like Cuba, those external for forces are always pushing. And so you're kind of almost on, in, in a constant state of having to decide uh, morally, you know, should I steal this? Should I do that? Should I, you know, um, and so who can I talk to? And um, and so I think it's it's great for fiction. You know, it's great to, to create that tension for the characters. And, you know, I, I, I feel sorry for them at times, but I also feel like a lot of them do have agency and they have to make choices. And 
Um, and it's just uh, the realm where I like to explore it. And it's a way for me to also think of myself uh, through them and, and maybe go to places that I've never gone myself in real life, but I get to go um, and be in that position through them. And I think it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's the, sort of the heart of the human condition, you know. Well, now I just want to ask you a couple of questions about what you like to read. Uh, do you remember the first thing that you read that really resonated with you and just sort of stayed with you for a long time and you still even think back on it now? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things. So I think, you know, Dostoevsky's notes from underground when I was a teenager really resonated. It was dark. It was pessimistic. Uh, but it said a lot about society. Um, I've read it now that I'm older, and it doesn't necessarily hold up for me. Not as great as as good as his other work. Um, but but at the time, I think it really spoke because I was in you know when I was a teenager, I was in a darker place, and um, and I think reading that, I felt like I was being seen, and I, I could I could relate to someone who had issues with society and with our hypocrisy and how we lived. And so I think I remember reading that a couple of times and thinking, wow, it's incredible that you can do this through fiction, that you can make me meditate on my own life, on who I am, on how I. I feel about the world um, and then I sort of moved on to reading Borges and his speculative fiction and seeing philosophy and seeing history and seeing art be a part of uh, fiction and I thought wow this is fantastic that you could set a story in like in a sort of a non-real place and 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 still come out with sort of like a, a view of the world uh, that that seems uh, nuanced you know so I think I you know early on I think those two writers uh, had a big impact because I remember around that time it's when I decided to sit down and start writing stories a little bit more seriously and so so a few of my first stories were ripoffs or Voorhees and Dostoevsky and some of these writers. Uh, so that's where I kind of started um, wh with what some people, I guess, would see as more classic literature in some ways. And then from there, I started taking creative writing classes and sort of expanded a lot of what I read. And you mentioned that you have gone back to some of those works, uh, or, you know, now that you're older and look at them with a new perspective. I was wondering if you have sort of, I call like three forever books that, you know, if you had to just read the same three books over and over again and just really study them and pour over them and just learn everything you can from them, which three would you choose? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, I feel like I, I'm going to disappoint because I don't know that I can come up with three that I could be confident about. And, and that, you know, my mind, my mind is going to change tomorrow. And so a lot of times some of the later things that I've read, you know, more recent things that, I, that I've read, I mean, um, sort of stick out more usually. Uh, so it's, I, I wouldn't say that there are particular books that I would say these are the ones. And the reason for that is um, I like to read a lot of different from a lot of uh, literature from a lot of different countries. Um, and a lot of different styles. And so um, I don't necessarily have, for whatever reason, at this point in my life, those books that I, I say that I always go back to. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I could that I could just pick three. I feel like I would be lying if I forced myself to have to pick the ones. And again, you know, I mentioned Dostoevsky or Borges, but I have, you know, lately I haven't been reading them as much. I've been reading a lot of more contemporary fiction. Um, so yeah, my, my main thing right now is just reading work from all over the world. That's my main, sort of my main focus. A lot of work in translation. We, we don't translate a lot, a lot of books in the U.S. And so um, I feel like that's a crime. And, and so I feel like it's my duty to support international um, authors uh, who are being translated into English. And so uh, lately I'm more of a South American kick and contemporary South American kick and European kick and African kick. So I'm trying to read a lot of writers who, who speak to me. Uh, who write politically, who write socially um, through fiction. Um, and, and so to me, that's more important than, 
you know, one or two particular books. You know, they're, they're novels like Middle March, which I've always thought is a fantastic novel. It's one of the smartest books I've ever read. I always tell people it is one of the greatest books I've ever written, in my opinion. Um, but would I say that that would be one of the three? I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, that's a tough question. I feel like I'm all over the place at this point. Um, and I think I probably will stay that way. And I think maybe if you ask me again in 10 or 20 years, I might be able to give you an answer when I'm a little bit older and more stubborn. Well, I want to ask you now about, we've talked so much about books that you really love and have learned so much from. Um, on the flip side of that, do you have a book that's maybe very popular or critically acclaimed, but that just never did it for you and you just don't understand you know, what other people are talking about uh, when they rave about it? <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, I hope I don't offend anybody. But um, I mean, there are books, you know, I, this is sort of easy pickings at this point, but you know, I, I never got why Jonathan Franzen is so popular. I mean, he's, he's, I think he's not a bad writer, but um, I, I think he's, his work is sort of overblown in terms of the quality and, and what he does. And I think there are passages within his lo very long novels that are very good. And then there are other passages that are definitely kind of the opposite of that. And so that's sort of an easy point of reference for me where I'd say I don't, I kind of don't get what the big deal is. Um, and to be honest, more recently, like the Goldfinch won, won the Pulitzer Prize, and I, I did not get why um, or what's so great about it. And, and I, it just didn't speak to me. It felt a little bit immature at times. It felt a little bit um, like it was pushing a certain kind of agenda about art and a certain view of art that is very white and very old-fashioned. And does not speak to me at all um and i guess but i guess it does to certain people and so um you know i do have critical opinions about certain books and i'm usually not afraid to, to express them um but i do think there, there are many books that that you know that get a lot of attention or writers who tend to sell a lot of books that i don't necessarily are um in my opinion they're, they're not as um when i think they're not as good i just mean they're not as nuanced as interesting as relevant basically as i think other books that don't get as much attention, but I, I think are better written and much more and, and more ambitious, you know, work that's more ambitious. Um, when the lens of a book is very narrow in terms of how it looks at the social reality of the world that it's exploring, a race and things like that, when it doesn't truly reflect what I think is the real world, I, I tend to have a harder time unless it's really doing very interesting layered things. So for me, some of these writers who tend to be very, in the literary world, who tend to be very popular, many of them, I, I, I don't kind of get what the big deal is um maybe again they speak to a certain part of the population they just they just don't happen to do anything for me but luckily for me because i read a lot of international literature i, I get to i get to choose well what are you reading right now yeah so i've been reading um i'm reading it's sort of you know andre Asimov's essay collection alibis um alejandro sambras my documents is a story collections he's a chilean writer he's fantastic in my opinion um, they're, the stories are deceivingly simple. You know, they seem simple on the surface, but are very profound, I think. Um, I've, I've read uh, Juan Gabriel Vasquez, the Colombian writer, a lot of his novels lately. Um, uh, Mariana Enriquez had a story collection. She's an Argentina writer. I love her work is sometimes categorized as a literary horror, but I think it's more than that. It's, it kind of defies genre. Uh, but a lot of the stories are political. A lot of the stories are personal. And uh, they're set in contemporary Argentina, I think, are fantastic. Uh, lately, I've also was reading Natasha Pana's Waiting for Tomorrow. She's from Mauritania, and she she's, uh, lives in France. And... Um, it's a great novel about immigration and, and race and identity, um, and there's a family secret. So, you know, I'm sort of, that's kind of where I'm at right now in terms of the more 
uh, books that are you know um, with me most of the time at this point um, and I have so many other books I want to read uh, from a lot of authors that that you know um, I, have, I think I have more books than, than time to read them but um, but yeah I'm kind of sort of within that realm right now and and I'm always looking for the next list of international books and recently I saw a international literary noir list and so I bought like three books from Spanish and Brazilian and Portuguese authors who are writing this international literary thrillers and political thriller thrillers that are fascinating at least in the description so I'm, I'm sort of hoping to get into that and maybe I'll go on a little bit of a kick and read three or four of them in a row um, yeah you have a novel forthcoming uh, what can you tell us about that yeah, so the novel is also set in Cuba. It's not related to the collection. Like, the characters are completely different. Uh, it deals with art, the relationship between art and politics, unsurprisingly. Um, and it's about, you know, a theater director who gets in trouble with the with, uh, state, basically, and, and his family. Uh, it's not completely sure why, so they kind of have to both try to help him get out of prison and um, because he's, he's been essentially labeled as a political prisoner, um, which kind of brings his own set of uh, problems. Um, and then his family has to sort of uh, find a way to get him out and also kind of learn why he's been labeled as such because they don't, they're not completely sure. And of course, to make things more complicated, the main character is a lawyer. His son, he's a, his older son, he's a lawyer. He works for the state. So trying to help dad means his own position with the state could be jeopardized. So that's kind of the main conundrum that he faces. Um, and then there's a lot of family history, a lot of family drama. Um, and I try to explore journalism and the role that journalism plays in, in sort of getting the word out of a country like Cuba where it's very difficult to do because it's very isolated and there's not a lot of internet um, access, internet access. Um, and I also wanted to explore how uh, the church, the Catholic Church, also um, has been involved in, in assisting uh, sort of political prisoners in the island. So um, the novel, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's sprawling, but it's on the longer side. And, and I think the reason for that right now is that it's... Uh, it's just trying to explore a lot of different facets of life. Journalism, art, politics, theater, uh, family, religion. Um, and and I'm hoping that, you know, that people will like it. And, and I think it's actually kind of relevant now with a lot of what's happening in this own country in the U.S. and um, how people are thinking of journalists and how, um, you know, the kinds of worries that people have. I feel like there, there are a lot of parallels um, that I at least notice myself in real life. But I feel like the novel... Uh, explores that that reality of the individual versus you know the larger forces who who might dictate you know where your life is going to go well Dariel Suarez it sounds very very interesting can't wait to read that just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your story collection and what you have coming up next thank you it's been a pleasure we also want to thank the Miami Book Fair International for hosting us today at the Freedom Tower and for sponsoring this episode. You can find out how to win a free signed copy of A Kind of Solitude on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.